He's risen. He's risen. He's up. On Friday, he died. On Sunday, he rose again. Hello? He's up. Why else would I dress like this? <laughs> we don't usually look like this. Some of you people looking fine. Some of you guys, I feel a little underdressed. I offered Butch. I said, you want to preach today, man? You're looking good. Woo. He's up. Ask me how I know. Says so right here four times. Plus, he's living in here. If this isn't true, then who's this? If this isn't true, then why am I living my life this way? If this isn't true, then what's the electricity in this room? Hello? After the Sabbath, which was a Saturday for them, of course, at dawn on the first day of the week, that would have been a Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Wouldn't it be something if there were so many Marys, you were the other Mary? <laughs> there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Well, of course you would be afraid, right? Everything is wrong with this picture. The stone is moved. The tomb is empty. The guards are, ter the guards are terrified. I think Mary Magdalene and the other Mary would be afraid. But he said, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He's saying, I know that you're here for a logical reason. I know you saw Jesus crucified on Friday and you expect to find him here today so that you can do what Jews do, which is to anoint the body with spices. He says, I, I get that. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He has risen, just as he said. <laughs> he did what he said he was going to do, right? Can you imagine these guys going, oh, so many of the things Jesus said as he was saying them before all this, the guys were going, do you know what he's talking about? I don't know what he's talking about, right? <laughs> and now he's up. He said on the third day he would rise, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. So first, begin with the empty tomb. Start here. You've got to move past the cross, and you've got to look in the tomb. There's nobody home. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go. Then go. Then get going. Then get going. Something about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes me want to get going. Amen. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So done. Over and out. Go. Verse 8. As they were going, this is incredible. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. Boy, they were tired that night, weren't they? Afraid, of course, yet filled with joy, 
and ran to tell his disciples. So they were doing as they were told. They were going. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. <laughs> I love this. Hey, what's up? <laughs> I love this. It's such a casual word, greetings. Hello, ladies. Right? They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Something about that, right? Something about people who know Jesus aren't supposed to be afraid. Are you, are you picking up this theme? That there's something that Jesus has done that will get rid of our fear. We don't have to live in fear anymore. And it says it over and over again. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. He's up. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Lord, we ask that you'd come now in these next few minutes and come and visit us in the bringing of this passage to these dear people who have come. You've drawn them in, Lord. Some who are familiar with these seats and some maybe who aren't, but God, you brought them. This was your idea. This wasn't my idea. This was your idea to have us all in this room today for these, this period of time to do something. And so we surrender it to you, Lord, because we want you to do the thing that you want to do. And we want you to get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Are there any warriors in the house? Are you a warrior? Warriors? Raise your hand if, you're, if you call yourself a warrior. Warriors in the house. Well, I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he gave you one less thing to worry about. Right? Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he gave you one less thing to worry about. I suppose everybody worries some. Pretty much normal part of the human experience. Can I give you a little biology lesson? My bachelor's degree, I was a biology major. I don't use that a lot in the ministry, so I'll give you a little biology lesson. The worry response that we have is a development from earlier days when our ancestors lived in a different place on the food chain, all right? And uh, at one point, we had, our ancestors had to be very vigilant that although we ourselves as humans are predators, that's why our eyes are in the front and not on the sides. Oh, uh, oh, we as humans are predators. We're in the natural order of thing, not the top of the food chain, that there are actually beasts on the earth that can overpower us, right? Mm -hmm. Lions and tigers and bears. There you go. Okay. You had your fun. So what God has done is he has equipped us with certain hormones, principally adrenaline and cortisol, that are released by our adrenal glands into our bodies for an emergency response. So when we are in sudden danger, we don't have to think too fast. We don't have to think much. Our bodies are moving, and then our thoughts catch up. This is a fascinating deal that God has written into us. Um, and so these, these hormones, this adrenaline and this cortisol, is dumped into our bloodstreams only in times of emergency. It's not, it's not meant to be regular fuel, okay? It's not meant to be the regular way we live, 
And uh, some of you fellow mechanics of old engines, you'll know, you know how you take some ether and you spray it into the throat of the carburetor to get that old thing going? Who knows what I'm talking about, right? Raise your hand, right? And that'll get her going, right? Because that's hot. But you can't run it on that, right? Because it'll tear up the engine. This is a good analogy. You can start it with that. You can get it going. But you've got to get the problem fixed in order for it to run well. Adrenaline is not meant to be our fuel of choice. It wears us out. I remember my most memorable adrenaline event. It happened on July 29, 1983. Remember? Many of you weren't even on the planet yet. That was the day that our daughter Betsy was born. And she was born, I don't know, 11 months early or something. I don't know. She was really <laughs> born super early. And she was born two pounds, four ounces. She was just a wee thing. And she was born suddenly at home. This was not a planned event at all. I had just returned from a conference that I had been doing. And I got back. And that night, we went to bed in our house. And I woke up about 2 o'clock, I think, in the morning. I look over. And there's Karen sitting, rocking. And she looked uncomfortable. I said, you all right? She said, yeah, I'm just having some, you know, stuff, all right? And so I said, all right. <laughs> I did what guys do, right? I checked, right? Nothing I could do. I showed a little. It was hot. It was July 29th. As I told you, we had no air conditioning in our home. The window was open with the fan blowing and the whole thing. And Karen left the room, went into the bathroom, and came back out and said, I think I'm having this baby. I said, that can't be right. It's 11 months early. <laughs> and so she laid down in the bed, and we were trying to figure out what to do, praying frantic prayers. And this was prior even to 911 in our community that we lived. And we had just placed a sticker on the phone that said, in case of emergency, call this number, which was really, we had just placed it on there, right? Oh, my gosh. So I pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah. And I, I am dialing the phone, and I finally, finally get through to this person who says, what, what's your emergency or something like that? I have the phone propped up to my ear like this and my hands down here by my wife. And I said, my wife is having a baby. My wife is having a baby. She said, sir, is your wife having a baby or is she just in labor? I said, the head is in my hands. The head is in my hands. <laughs> yeah. And this baby came. And this baby just shot out of there like a cannon, you know, and <laughs> there I was. I had no idea what to do next, right? Poor Karen, she just delivered a little baby. Now, afterwards, she said she had something like heartburn that was worse than having that baby, but that baby just came quick. And there we were. And then she stopped breathing right there. She stopped breathing. We're holding this. The, her head is the size of a tennis ball. And she stopped breathing. And I didn't know what to do. So I gave her to Karen. <laughs> Karen's a nurse. 
Umbilical cord still attached. Karen takes this baby, reaches into her mouth, clears her airway. She just delivered, gives a little puff, poof, into, into Betsy's mouth, and she goes, <coughs> I've been crying ever since. Man, talk about an adrenaline dump, right? That was hard on me. <laughs> that was tough. That was tough. You know, you know, the funny part of this whole thing is they sent two ambulances for us. I think in, we, in retrospect, we figured out it's because I said everything twice. My wife is having a baby. My wife is having a baby. The head is in my hands. The head is in my hands. They carried my wife and my newborn baby downstairs to put her in an ambulance, and then somebody grabbed my arm, and I'm like, uh, 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 and, I, and, put, and opened the front door of an ambulance and put me in the seat, right? Okay, great. We're driving along, the whole thing, you know? And then uh, this guy, this ambulance driver, is kind of trying to talk me down, and he says, well, I think we'll block the intersection and let them by. I said, let who by? Well, your wife. I look back, there's nobody in the back of this ambulance. <laughs> Pull over, block the intersection, they go by, woo, woo, woo. They sent one for them and one for me. <laughs> for days, three days, I was like this. Hey, how we doing? <laughs> Just had a baby. This is what adrenaline does to us. This is what adrenaline does to us. It's an emergency chemical. And when it fires up, it causes a response in our body that's important, important response. On a short-term basis, it causes a rapid heartbeat, doesn't it? It causes your muscles to fire. It can cause uh, even a shortness of breath. But these chemicals are meant to be burned up very quickly as if you're running away from a lion or a bear. And if they are not burned up quickly, as in the case of a false alarm, they, they, do, they do a negative work on our body. Because what they do is they shut down other systems. Because you don't need to worry about digestion when you're running away from a bear, right? And so if you have too much adrenaline in your body all the time, what happens is, what happens is it shuts down systems and it can suppress your immune system. It can cause you to be short. It can cause memory loss. It can, it can cause you to be short of breath. It can lead to coronary artery disease. It can lead to a heart attack. The today, since we're not being chased by many bears, it's what happens when we cultivate a habit of worry. Because that's a fear, isn't it? It's a kind of a fear. I fear what will happen. I fear. And you know, some of you know that if you let yourself go into that place of worrying about something, you can feel it, can't you? You can feel something happen in your body. And that's what chronic worry does, is it, it creates a very negative physiological response in us. And we need to deal with worry. According to a recent study released by the Huffington Post, 85% of the things we worry about do not happen. Did you hear that? 85% of the things that we worry about don't happen. Of the 15% of the things we tend to worry about that do happen we find that in 79% of the time, we are capable of handling it with ease. 
So if you do the math on that, you'll see just a little bit over 3% of the things that you worry about are worth worrying about. Well, I got good news for you. Jesus Christ rose from the dead and has given you one very important less thing to worry about. You know, it didn't happen right off. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, it actually created worry. It created worry if you read your Bible, it created worry in these, these, these Pharisees who were, trying to, who were trying to put down this Jesus revolution. When he, was, when he died on the cross and then somehow his body came up missing, the Gospel of Matthew says that when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they were worried. And they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you're to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. That's right there in your Bible. So they were worried. The women were worried. And if you read the account of the resurrection in Mark, it says that the women were going to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. And they were talking, well, who will move the stone away? And so they were worried. They had something to worry about. If you look in the Gospel of John after the Lord uh, was crucified, you find that the disciples were locked in a room, it says, for fear of the Jews. The death of Jesus caused a lot of worry. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead on that first Easter morning, he gave everyone, including us, one less thing to worry about, and that's dying. He gave us one less, and it's the big thing, isn't it? It's the big thing that people worry about if they let their mind wander. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins that all who have faith in him, that by the power of his resurrection don't have to die. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of this message. And it gives you one very big thing less to worry about. Man, just look through your Bible. You look at John chapter 14 and verse 2. Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. He said, I love the way he said this. If it were not so, I would have told you. He was saying, I know that that's what you worry about. You, he says, every human who's ever existed, is there, is there something after this? I mean, I get this. I'm doing the best I can with this. But is there something after this? Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, came from heaven and said, there's something after this. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions if that weren't so, I would have told you that. I'd, I'd have just settled that question for you. If your whole life was just about doing the best you can here, getting all you can here, being as good a person as you can here, and then you're just dust forever, Jesus said, I would have told you that. But he said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go there to prepare a place for you. And he said, I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That there's a day coming where we can be with the Lord. John 5, 24, Jesus said, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. I love this. He has crossed over from death to life. I love the way Jesus put this in these verb tenses. You have eternal life if you know him, and you've already crossed over from death to life. This is the assurance of a believer. 
is to know that, that that's already done. It's just a question of timing now, right? It's just a question of a change of address, right? This is what Jesus Christ has done for us by rising from the grave. Man, that's one less thing to worry about. Have you made that crossing in your life? Can you say with confidence that because I know Christ is my Savior, that I'm released from the worry of death? That I've made the crossing from death to life? Why would you worry about a street you've already crossed? John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus spoke these words to Martha. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Those are the words of Jesus. I'm not making this stuff up. It's all in there. It's all in this Bible thing. What a spectacular promise for Jesus to make to Martha. What is it? If you believe in me, he says, you'll never die. It's done. Jesus did the dying for us. Jesus did the dying for us on the cross. What a spectacular promise. Have you heard Jesus make that promise to you? You know, you just think about your own sense of life and death. And have you heard Jesus make that promise to you that, that if you believe, you'll not die? Changes everything. 2 Corinthians 5.1, the Bible says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. It says, now we know it, that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. I'm on the gradual destruction process at this point in my life, right? You get to a point in your life where you just see things. That doesn't, I, I caught myself walking the other day. And I go, why am I walking so slow and thinking I'm going as fast as I can? <laughs> I officiated my granddaughter's wedding last May and I was feeling all spiffy and strong and everything as I did that. I looked at the picture. I said, who is that old man in the picture? You know, our bodies degrade, Yeah. Part of the program. Whoop, right? Now, if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, when it dies, when it stops, good news. Good news. The Bible says when that happens, then we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now, that's good news, right? And I love the way he says that we know it. We don't hope it. We don't wish it. We don't hedge our bets against the possibility of it. We know it. He knew it. That if the earthly tent, shall we say, that when the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, let's take the if right out of there. That when the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, believers, you have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Boy, you got one less thing to worry about, don't you? Jesus rose from the dead for us. Cross that one off the list. Wouldn't you like to have one less thing to worry about? I live for this day because I, I just live for people who are still trying to sort this out. As I say from time to time here, I just tolerate these Christians here so I can have a job and I can talk to you. Because more than anything, I'm just concerned about 
those who are still trying to sort this issue out in their own personal lives, because no one can do it for you, and you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure out, is there something after this I need to be concerned about? Is, there really, is the Bible really true that it's appointed on every man wants to die, and after that, the judgment? Is there really a heaven? Is there really a hell? And you're trying to sort all this out. I get that. And it creates worry. It just creates worry. I get that. Until you come to know Jesus as your Savior, authentically, you're always going to worry about it. It's just going to be lurking. You'll be able to stop thinking about it, preoccupy yourself with other things maybe, but it's always going to just be there. And you're always going to be wondering, am I ready for that? I mean, nobody here is disputing that we're going to die. Nobody's disputing that. But it's always just going to be lurking. You're always going to be wondering and worrying. But if you do get this taken care of through what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, then you never have to worry about it again. You never have to worry about it. No, never ever have to worry about it. That the worst thing that could happen to you today is the best thing that could happen to you today, right? That you, when you know Christ, you never have to worry about it. If you're believing Christ and what he said, then you never have to worry about it. Ever. <laughs> There's no news that you can receive that would cause you to worry about dying. No, I want to stay here as long as possible, right? I feel like in some ways, now that the kids are grown, I'm just starting to have fun, right? Hello? I'm not in any hurry to go, but I'm ready to go. And I don't worry about it. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, the Apostle Paul said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Boy, if I live, this is fantastic. I get to live in this relationship with God in the context of his church, the body of Christ. This is fantastic. I get to tell you he's risen. This is amazing. But for me to die would be gain. It's graduation. It's moving day, right? Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. If you are a Christian today, then that's good news for you. It's very good news for you. But if you are not a Christian today, that is not good news for you. Listen, I say this in all love. If you are not a Christian today, then the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not good news because his resurrection validates all of his words. You see, he said he was going to rise from the dead. And so if he did, he was telling the truth. And if he was telling the truth about that, he was telling the truth about everything. And so then if you're not a Christian today, that's not good news. That's just more worry. But do I have good news for you today? You can change that. You can change that. How do I change that? You change that by asking Jesus Christ into your life as your Savior. Just personally turning to him and saying, Lord, I get it now. I get it. I don't, I don't have all the answers. Beloved, I don't have all the answers. I still have questions, but it doesn't stop me from believing, right? Karen still has questions about me, but it doesn't stop her from being married to me, right? <laughs> right? So I still have questions. You still have questions. But here's one thing I know, that it is appointed unto every man once to die, and after that the judgment. And that we get through the judgment, not by our good works, 
but by the works of Jesus Christ and our faith in him and what he did for us. And the cross and the power he demonstrated in overcoming the grave. So you, you can change this today. You can change this today by personally praying to ask Jesus Christ into your life as your Savior and as your Lord. Would you bow your heads with me, please, church? With your heads bowed, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray it one line at a time, and it's a prayer that that if you're a Christian, you could pray as a way of reaffirming your faith in Christ. And if if you're not a Christian, but you're ready to become one, that by praying this prayer is exactly the mechanism by which one comes into relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to pray out one line at a time, and if you can agree with it, and only if you can agree with it, don't don't let me put words in your mouth, please. I'm not trying to pull anything off. But if you can agree with what I'm saying, I, I want to ask you to say it aloud, to repeat it aloud as an expression from your heart. This is good for believers. This is good for those of you who are ready to become believers. Dear God, I want to know you. I want to be your child. I want to have all my sins forgiven. I want to turn away from my sins and live a new life. I want your son Jesus Christ to be my savior. I want your son Jesus Christ to direct my life. Thank you, God, for saving me. Amen. With your heads bowed, would would you just keep your heads bowed so I could just have a moment? Many of you just prayed that prayer. Each of you came from your own place. And just in the privacy of me and you with all these heads bowed, I wondered if you're a person who just prayed that prayer for the first time, really, and ask Christ into your life to be your Savior and your Lord. If you just did that for the first time, with all these heads bowed, could you just raise your hand so I could see who you are, please? Just lift it up so I can see it. If you're a person who just prayed that prayer as a way of coming back to Christ, you've been wandering, you've been away, you've been here before, but you want to come back, and you just prayed that prayer to come back. Would you lift your hands as well? I see that hand, that one. Yep, yep, thank you, thank you. Father in heaven, I pray your greatest, deepest, profound blessing on every person here today. I love these people, Lord. They are not mine to judge. I thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the celebration of the empty tomb. Now, as we just move into this this time of just celebrating your power and your presence, I pray your blessing on all those who just lifted their hands, Lord. I pray, God, that you'll draw them into, into healthy paths of relationship with you, God. And I pray for every person here, Lord, that whatever the rest of the day or tomorrow may hold, God, that you'll walk with them, that you'll fill them with your spirit, your power, and your word, and that you'll glorify yourself through the rest of their lives. So Lord, lift our hearts now as we return just for a few minutes to a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Lift our hearts, Lord, as we return 
to that celebration in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, church. Let's worship the Lord for a while.